This is Amy Fleury, artist and author of Recipe for Press, Pitch Your Story Like the Pros and Create a Buzz. You're listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with Miriam Schulman. Today's episode is sponsored by the Profit Planning Virtual Workshop. Artists can thrive even in turbulent times, but getting the right resources and information in place is more critical than ever. I've pinpointed the exact ingredients that differentiate pricing formulas for art that work and those that miss the mark. Join me on April 24th, 2020 at 1 p.m. Eastern time for a special 2020 art pricing live workshop to help you cut down your learning curve and avoid major pitfalls. We'll also talk about navigating sales during a crisis. You can still sell art because art makes people feel good. Inside this crazy fun three-hour workshop, I'll walk you through the exact steps I use, my secret money-making formulas, game-changing formulas, and more, plus a live Q&A. To learn more, go to shulmanart.com forward slash workshop. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 84 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, we're talking all about getting press for your art. So in this episode, you'll discover how to think like an editor, how to use back issues of magazines for new pitch ideas, as well as the power of the humble postcard. But before we get there, let's chat about something that's on everyone's minds. Let's say hello to the elephant in the room. The world feels pretty intense right now. You might be wondering if building your art business is even an option right now. And you might have questions. One question I'm getting asked more than ever is how to teach online classes. Your questions are totally valid and may feel confusing where to find answers, but I'm here to change all that because no one should be expected to figure out this new terrain alone. That's why as an extra special bonus to my upcoming live virtual profit planning workshop, I'm creating a step-by-step guide to jump-starting an online art class. This guide takes all the guesswork out of creating a live streaming class quickly. I'm answering all the questions you didn't even know that you had what kind of equipment you need, how to take payments, how much you should charge, and how to get people to join, plus a whole lot more. I've personally used online art classes to help build my multiple six-figure art business, and I'm encouraging my clients to get started in the easiest ways possible. There's no need to give up your teaching income during this time. The world needs art and the world needs art classes more than ever before. And there's never been a better time to learn the ins and outs of teaching online. I want to help you move forward and not let fear stop you, my friend. Get the knowledge, support, and accountability you need as we navigate these changing times together. 
Here's the thing. I wholeheartedly believe that now more than ever before, online art classes are on track to grow beyond what we've ever imagined. Where else are people going to turn to but online to keep their everyday lives moving forward, especially for parents who want to continue arts education for their children? While I understand that the future is unknown, I don't want you to use this as a reason to press pause. This is a call to persevere and show up like never before. I want you to have the knowledge, education, and skills to not just sustain your art business, but to emerge after all of this is behind us stronger than ever. Please join me on April 24th for the live virtual workshop. To sign up and get more information, go to shulmanart.com forward slash workshop. By the way, if you're listening to this episode after the workshop is over, you can access the workshop if you join the Artist Incubator community, because this workshop will come as a bonus for both the self-study and my full members. I'm more committed than ever to help you sustain your art career and emerge stronger than ever before. Now back to the show. Today's guest has two decades of editorial experience contributing to publications including Condé Nast Traveler, Country Living, Lucky, Better Homes and Gardens, House Beautiful, and In Style. Inspired by this rich career in publishing, she authored Recipe for Press, Picture Story, and Create a Buzz, and then took the road sharing her editorial insights with entrepreneurs. She also has a new version of the book out, which is the designer edition, her newest book with the tools interior designers need to take advantage of for the press opportunities available to creative professionals. Please welcome to the inspiration place, Amy Flurry. Hey, Amy, welcome to the show. Hey, Miriam. So happy to be here. My sister's name is Amy uh-huh. because my mom was a huge Little Woman fan. Oh, yeah. Was your mom a Little Woman fan too or no? No, not at all. But I, I really feel better knowing that. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody names their kid Amy anymore or Lisa, really. Or oh, Lisa. these like 70s names. Well, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great one to think of. I'm, I might start using that line. So with my maiden name, my initials actually spell Meg. Oh. Because she was that yep. much of a Little Woman fan. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. Way to go, mom. I know. Then she had a boy. So he wasn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't named Joe though. No, no. Jeffrey. Close. <laughs> right. Okay. I like it. Though. Yes. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to discuss with you is that I was in, Ath- so you're in Athens, Georgia, right? Yes. Yes, yes. I am. I was there for Sunny Athens. Were you really? Yes. The gra- it was at the graduate. Oh yeah. Did you have a good time? Yeah, that's a cool. Did hotel. you stay in the REM room or did you have a room that was kind of like, aren't all the rooms specific to that area or a band? They're college rooms. So it's a oh, very okay. Okay. kitschy decor. The room keys look like student IDs. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then we ate at a really good vegetarian restaurant, which- The made- Grit? That's it. Yeah. I live right down the street. We- I could have had Grit. How come we didn't well, meet each other? No, next time. Next time. <laughs> no, this is it's a cool time. place. I really, really love living here. Attracted to the creative core of the city. Week one of moving here and still love it very much for that reason. Very collaborative 
creative community. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of the restaurants feature artists because I know yeah. I have one of my clients was getting her art into yeah, a restaurant they do. there. Coffee houses everywhere features paintings and art. Okay, cool. And then you have actually some sort of art business that I wanted before we get into the meat and potatoes of today. Okay. So tell me what, what this other, this paper press, <laughs> what, what is this? Paper cut project. Yes, what is that? I make paper wigs for luxury fashion houses. Wait. Usually... <laughs> <laughs> and museums. So that usually would be, okay. for for window displays like an Hermes or Valentino, you know, some they do or Kate Spade we did once, we did their windows. So I have a partner in this project. We started it at the same time that I wrote my book. And I really have used the tenets of my book to get it in front of the right people because that's how they find two ladies who make handcrafted paper wigs. And that's how they find us to commission the work. So yeah, we're in year 10 of this and we've done some pretty, pretty incredible installations and just wrapped one up recently at a, a hotel. That would be different than a hat. Now, you know what I'm thinking of is like Alexander McQueen's butterfly. Okay. Well, you're in the right vein. It's definitely that wild. I'm just going to say papercutproject.com is the, all of the pieces are there. But basically when you have a mannequin, and you put couture or really gorgeous gowns on them, you're still left with that glossy head that's a little bit like tricky because whatever you put on top of it looks a little goofy. And so we created, we started with a boutique in Atlanta who, Jeffrey Boutique, who said, you know, if you're going to do this for us, because we, we had pitched them this idea and they really kind of focused us to, if we think you should do the, the wigs, because this is always a problem for us. You know, you put something on that glossy head, it looks kind of silly, but the rest of the mannequin looks amazing. But they said, if you're going to do Atlanta windows, you'll have to do our New York windows too. And the minute he said it, I said, you know what? Somebody's going to know what to do with us if we are prepared and also if we are prepared for people to find us, just like what we're going to talk about today. That's a great story. The only way we've been found is by, you know, what I talk about in the book. That's fantastic. I want to make sure that we have pictures of some of these paper wigs in the show notes so people okay. can look at them. Yeah, they're pretty fantastical. I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like your McQueen thinking. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. yeah. So pe people don't actually wear them just mannequins then. Some people have commissioned them for themselves for a party, you know, for a an ex very extravagant party. I mean, they're pretty pricey, you know, luxury item, but sometimes people get a wild hair and want a paper wig for themselves. And then they use it as sculpture in their house afterwards, like put it on a pedestal, put acrylic around it light on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So for those of you who are listening, the show notes are shulmanart.com forward slash 84. So we're going to make sure that we have at least one picture of one of these fabulous designs, Amy, because I know I can't wait to, to <laughs> wanna, I, you did show me one postcard, but yeah. I, I, yeah, I would love to look at more. Okay. So let's dive into it today because we're talking all about press. But one thing that I want to make sure people understand is that you're not a publicist, right? Right, right. I wrote the book coming off of 20 years as an editor and a freelance writer. So people pitched me. Mm. But the difference between my editors in New York and me was that I was freelance. So I was actually in front of people, not just in a cubicle, but I was in people's boutiques, in their studios, you know, in their shops. 
And so I noticed the same things over and over again as people pitched me, you know, always came back to me with these same questions. So that perspective is the one that I wrote the book was like, I've been on the other end of your pitch. I know what works. I know what doesn't. And I know none of these editors are ever going to tell you straight up, you know, so I just wrote a book that I thought simplified the process and let people in on our perspective. As a podcaster, you are also editor and owner of that. You're pitched and the same things apply often. Yeah. So one thing Amy and I were talking about before we officially hit the record button was Amy came very prepared for this episode. And unfortunately, not all my guests come prepared. They don't actually listen to the show. Amy, can you talk a little bit about what it's like as a magazine editor when you get a pitch from somebody? It's screaming. Yeah. How can you tell? Yeah. You can tell in two seconds. If it's a pitch, often you will see the same copy in a different font and your name in a different font. So (laughs) you don't even bother to like make all the font. Didn't even bother to make it the same or they will have forgotten to change the name of the magazine, but everything else is kind of customized, but except that they forgot to change that. They misspell your name. They pitch something that is wildly nothing that you would cover. Say somebody's pitching product and the whole magazine is more storytelling about people. It just reeks of like, wow, you didn't bother to open the magazine and study it a little bit, which is half of the homework, you know, half of getting there with a great pitch is just kind of understanding what you're pitching into because that is a formula. Your podcast has a formula. You have a point of view. And the job of somebody who wants to be on it and be considered, let's say, just like a solid consideration, because it's always your choice to say yes or no, just like in true editorial. But to get that really solid consideration, you want to understand the magazine and they're telling you what they're looking for just by opening up and studying it. Study it. Study these things. Study an online magazine. Study a blog, a podcast. Listen to the podcast before you rush out in all your pitch excitement to, you know, try to get placed in them. I would like to say there's probably a million podcasts by now. I mean, the last I checked, there was, I don't know, 600,000. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> right. But the name of the game is not to like send out as many pitches as possible, but to get on as many podcasts as possible. And that's not going to happen. If you don't listen or read, you want to help that editor or podcaster out too by giving them something that you actually haven't heard covered that might be of interest and help to their readers. I would like to yeah expand on that a little bit more because that's absolutely true. That mm-hmm. what I find very frustrating was when somebody wants to be on the podcast and I don't know how they would fit on the podcast and they want me to do that work. Right. Right. Make it easy for me to have you on by telling me what we can talk about. Exactly. Because I'm looking for content. I'm looking for ideas. I have 52 slots a year to fill because I really right. am committed. See? Every week. What you just said is so key because when I would get together with people, okay, so if I approached you and I said, you're fabulous, I love your art, and I want to feature it on this page that every month I feature, you know, art and an artist. Okay, well, that's easy and that feels really good. But when I would move on, you know, people would come back and say, oh, he made made me feel so good and easy and it was great for my business. But now I don't know how to find another Amy or how to pitch another Amy. Mm. So this thing that we're talking about is so critical because oftentimes they needed a third party. That editor did not want to hear directly from them that it wasn't cool for them to pitch, for starters, and that they would be bugging them. 
once I just kind of wrote this book, people were like, oh, all this makes a lot of sense. I just kind of needed to get out of the way. I just needed to be demystified a little bit. And one of the main points is that editors and writers are looking for new content all the time. Like you said, you've got 52 episodes. You've got to find good guests, solid guests, but you want to make it good. Same with these magazines, same with online publications, even more so. There are probably more places to be published at this point. It's so much in the homework, you know, not in the actual pitching, but sometimes people just get all, you know, they feel like, oh, I pitched and now I'm just going to wait. But it's really the work is more in the homework to get it so close to where it's easy for that person to say yes. Yeah. And I don't know how this works in the print world in terms mm-hmm. of building the relationship. Mm-hmm. But for me, I feel like there's a lot of groundwork in terms of people pitching me to be on my podcast. There's a lot of groundwork that can be laid ahead of time. Like, yeah, you love my podcast so much. How come you haven't left a review yet? Right, 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 right. right. So don't right. tell me how much they, you love it if you haven't bothered to do what 150 right. what other is people meaning- have done. Right. Right. And that's that's relatively new. What is meaningful also to editors, like, are you following the magazine? Did you look at, you know, my Instagram account? Doesn't mean you need to go hog wild and stalk or anything or over-engage. Does that help if I wanted to be featured in Forbes and I know there's this writer, blah, blah, blah. Does it, it help usually, to engage with her? I would always follow them. I would always look for them. And I would look at their Instagram account because people are sharing so much about themselves. So they're sharing. Oftentimes, they're sharing what they are looking for. Mm. A lot of writers do that now. Over 50% of these publications are pulled together by freelancers. They're going to, if you follow them, you know, that's the first time they're going to see your name. They're going to look at that at least. You know, maybe you engage mildly and then, then you pitch. It's a good habit. I don't ever suggest do anything insincerely, you know, more or less. It's just a lot of information that you can look at. And again, you can study, oh, this freelancer really enjoys writing about this, this, and this. Another thing to understand is that that freelancer is probably not writing for just the magazine you're pitching. They're writing for five others. Mm. So getting to know where they're kind of coming from and personally is really helpful in just angling your pitch and in deepening or seeding a relationship, just like what you're talking about. Because you don't want somebody to just write about you one time. You want them to take you with them if they like what you do over the course of their career, because people really move around a lot. Like, from magazine to magazine every few years and say they go from Better Homes to Flower magazine, they're going to dip back into what they already have written about and find a new angle for that new publication. It's about relationships. My husband used to tease me that the woman who wrote the local paper was my personal publicist. (laughs) But, (laughs) But the reason why is because not only did I understand what you're talking about, like how to pitch an angle that wasn't just about me, Mm-hmm. But I always would thank her. The relationship didn't end with me being written about. Right. Do you want to talk about that? Like how important yeah. that is? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Because <laughs> I keep writing books about the subject, but right. <laughs> <laughs> it is a reciprocal thing, isn't it? It's like, you're not here you're not existing for me to come on your podcast. You know, I've got books, I've got a media list, you know, I'm in business. It's a reciprocal thing. So it's always, again, it's just always important to not let that relationship just end after somebody's done something for you. It also doesn't mean that someone needs to lavish you with gifts or send a lot of free stuff that's expensive because any, any editor would say, 
you know, just with a little time that's, that passed, if I wrote about somebody, I, I, I remember just some good thank you cards. And it wasn't your generic thank you card. You know, it wasn't perfunctory. It was somebody saying, thank you so much. What you did for me got the attention of this person and this happened. And I can't tell you how much that's meant to my business. You know, just like a little example that still gives me chills, something like that. That's yeah. meaningful. And that, that I remember. And that tells me that that person has gratitude for what I do. Because I, as a writer, would put a lot of time into trying to share their story well. You put a lot of time into good podcasts. The sound is clear. It's well edited, all these things. That's a lot of effort to share somebody else's story, you know, yeah. or, or work. It's little things like that. It's just remembering. It's, again, thinking about the long game, mm. not like what you can do for me right now because I need something. <laughs> right. Because right. <laughs> I got I to gotta sell this or do this. You know, you can sense and feel that sense of urgency that is a little sharp. What we were talking about prior to hitting the record button, I was approached by somebody who, I'm going to make sure that we don't know who he or she is. Except for that person who probably isn't listening anyway, because that person made it yeah. clear to me that that, that person did not listen. Listen, Right. right. But pretty much started the conversation with, I have a new book. Uh -huh. I was like, how's that going to help me? You know, it's like, it's right. still, and it's not that it has to be all about me either as the person in the position to give press, but it's just not a nice way to begin the conversation. No, it's not. And what you're doing comes from a place of passion. Same with anybody putting together a publication. You know, the one thing they have is the, they, they get to say yes or no, you know, they get to make the decision. They've got to filter through a lot of stuff, but they've got to be really moved by what they're putting in the pages. And yes, sometimes they've got that spot to fill and they're making a decision fast. And I talk about that in the book. Why do you see some of the same people get press? You know, you feel like, oh, they get all the press because that's who the editor goes to when they're in that spot where they've got to fill that one thing. You're going to respond quickly. You've got a pretty picture available. High resolution color images that are all ready to go for them. And they know, yeah. they know they can rely on me to turn it around. And they kind of know you understand the drill too, that by five o'clock, they've got a spot to fill. And they know you're going to call them back. And they know you're not going to boohoo if it doesn't make it also, because you know that person's going to try. Yeah, And you want to be one of those people that editors go to. You know, when you've got something good, you want to be some someone that they go to with a lot of confidence that's ready to deliver. Let's talk a little bit about publicists because we've kind of danced on that. We established you are not a paid publicist. If somebody doesn't want to do this work themselves because they already they're thinking, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. I'd rather just yeah. hire somebody. Right. What are we talking about to hire a publicist in this day and age? It depends a lot on the industry. I would say kind of a norm for business to pay is three to five thousand it can a month for that retainer it could go up to ten and then sometimes you have people who are good at this who are kind of more boutique agencies or maybe they're doing it by themselves and they might charge you know somewhere between fifteen hundred and two thousand a month still what you are paying for like I, I never wrote these books to be anti-publicist because to work with a great publicist is a dream because they understand what we're talking about. They're trying to get you good material and they're being paid to do that. Presumably, they have these relationships with they have, the press. That's correct. And they've 
worked on that and that's what you're paying for. You're also paying for them to deliver that fast because it's not likely that you can keep that retainer up for the 12 to 36 months that you really need for somebody to come through for you big time. It takes that kind of time. So generally, these are six-month contracts and they're being paid to push, push, push and make things happen quickly. And then you're like, oh, I can't. I'm, I'm like hemorrhaging money. And then, so that's what you're paying for. You're paying for speed. Sometimes it's a really good thing to hire a publicist. Like when you have a book and you need that extra, you need an extension, you need the big hit right away before it's like considered old news or you have an event or something like that. But all I was saying with the book was like, if you cannot afford that, there is so much you can do on your own. You can even pitch on your own. It doesn't matter who the pitch comes from, as long as it is put in front of me in a way that gives me the space to consider in a way that shows me you get it. Yeah. That's all I need. I'm looking for stuff all the time. That's, that's how I was as a writer. I mean, all the time. And there were just some things that people did consistently over and over, and I knew they were well-meaning. They were sending all the wrong signals. And I just kind of thought if somebody would just tell them, they would correct course. And that was true. People thought they were doing the right thing. Mm. Yeah, One thing that you talk about in the book is not sending the huge packages. Mm -hmm. Especially not now. But I know that the editors in New York, especially at that time, they just have small cubicles. So they will call in what they need. Sending some product, if it is manageable, is always helpful for them to see. But the first thing you want to do is send them a pitch with just beautiful pictures. You want to get them to a place in that email that piques their interest enough to ask more questions or call in a product. But you don't have to send the product first. Let's just say, and I do have a fiber artist who creates Mm -hmm. beautiful fiber necklaces. It's worth her while to send a sample to let's say, to try to get on Oprah's wish list or something like that? Totally up to them. I just say, make sure when you're sending your something that took that much time that you've done the work to recognize like, if you're going to send 10 pitches, but really five are awesome fits and you know it, then send five, you know, send, send those. Okay. But just understand that you can also pitch via email and that's very productive. That's how they want to receive the pitch anyway. Okay. You could follow up and ask where they'd like to receive a sample. Got it. But just because they receive a sample does not mean that's going to turn them on more towards your work. Is it easier to stand out now, now that people have moved more to digital? Is it easier to stand out with more physical pitches, like with a postcard? I devoted a whole chapter to the postcard in the book called The Humble Postcard. Because what it's doing is it's just like after you pitch, I still, I'm still i still going to maintain that editors everywhere will still tell you they want to be pitched in an email. If you think they want to be pitched on social media, you're wrong. But sometimes, you know, you might have a relationship and it gets to the point where you could DM them, but they're still going to say, send that to me in an email. I need it in an email. You know, that's ultimately where they need it. And the photography is where I would invest before I started sending a lot of samples. It's that pitch and how it is crafted. And it is so simple and so short. And it's so beautified by that really good picture that is the most effective. The postcard is kind of like for the in-between pitching. 
you want to let them know you're, you're still in business. You still exist. It's a beautiful way you're not bothering them. It just floats across their desk. You're sharing a new collection, a new colorway, you know, whatever it is that you're sharing. But it's just a way to kind of remain present in their remain top of mind. What happens sometimes something like that will come across. And especially since nobody sends a lot of mail anymore. It was true then when I wrote it, but even more so now. It comes across your desk and you're pulling together a story. You're like, oh, that's just what, you know, it just happens to be like either something that spawns a story idea or it just fits in with something that you happen to be pulling together. I don't know why it works that way, but it, it just does. Let's say you had an art or art product that was very topical, like mm-hmm. a pumpkin. How far ahead would somebody have to be sending that postcard to make it relevant for the publishing deadline for an article mm-hmm. that's coming out in October? Does mm-hmm. it, do you understand my question? Yeah, yeah, I do. Also, that kind of timeline is in the book because it's different for nationals versus regional magazines mm-hmm. versus blogs versus newspaper. You know, so there's four different, like, that's four different categories. But the nationals are usually looking for content five to six months in advance. Okay. Regionals are two to three months. And blogs or online publications can be two weeks, you know, to a month in advance. Some that are bigger are definitely pulling together. They're a little more organized about their editorial calendars. So I'd I'd always say for anything, like give it a month, but understand that national magazines, you know, when you are on the beaches, they're pulling together their Christmas issues. When you're, you know, summer vacation, they're doing Christmas. So when you hear Christmas music is not necessarily the time to pitch Christmas unless you are pitching something online. Holiday gift guides are generally being pulled together. All those magazine articles that we read that are like, you know, best gifts for under 25 or under 75 or best gifts for your mother-in-law or whatever. Those are being pulled together starting in June. Got it. But the online components of those magazines are still looking for products like, you know, in October. That gives a good sense. Mm -hmm. And I know in the book, you talk about editorial calendars and how to access that to your advantage. But something I want you to, if you can, go into a little more detail. How do you use back issues of magazines for new ideas? I think if you just kind of put on the detective hat, this is what I used to do when I was pitching magazines. You know, I was pitching them ideas also. So this is how I got to understand the art of the pitch. I would go to the library and go to the magazine section and look at like six magazine issues of the same magazine. And if you line them up and you opened to a particular section, you would start to see that that there's a formula to that section. They're looking for this kind of thing every month. They're looking for three products to go alongside. They're telling you what they're looking like. Every one of those pages in each of those monthly issues look the same. So they're telling you what the kind of thing they're looking for. Here's a good way to understand, like, when you look at something and you see somebody that's kind of like you being featured, and you're like, oh, that could have been me. Well, that's a good sign because now the editor is looking for another person exactly like that. So, oftentimes, people would be like, well, I would hear this a lot, like, well, they already featured her. But from an editor's point of view, it's like, well, we yes, we already featured her. Now we're looking for the next her. You know, this is the kind of person we like that our readers want to read about. In that way, you just start to see that there are formulas to how those pages are put together and they look the same month to month. And when you realize that, you start seeing like, can I plug with my art, with my portrait, you know, would my story fit into any one of these sections? That's giving me a lot of good ideas, by the way. Yeah, they're broken up into 
sections. If somebody who's listening is a painter, like I am, Mm -hmm. is your new book more helpful for that? Or is that really more for interior decorators who are looking to get featured? Could you tell us a little bit about your newest book? Well, the new book is for interiors. And the reason I wrote a completely different book this many years later the same tenets still apply from that first book. It's so foundational. You just have so much more opportunity now to get press. Mm. Podcasts are considered press. Newsletters are considered press. You know, there's, it's, it's not just how to get in a magazine, but the same fundamentals apply. The second book, I just started noticing more and more interior designers were coming to my talks and I wondered why and I paid attention to that. And then I started to realize that a lot of people want their business they're in the business of beauty, kind of like artists. And so these interior designers almost had to have their own marketing arm, you know, of their interior design business, which they're not really prepared for. But because they're in the business of beauty, they have more opportunities to get published, whether it's a manufacturer, a trade magazine, podcast directed towards them. Everybody is kind of wanting their attention, you know. So I just saw a lot of opportunity and a lot of people just like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing all these things and serving as an interior designer. Those that decided they wanted to have, you know, really focus that communications arm, this book was a way to tell them how to do that but in a simplified way, again, because it can just be overwhelming. You know, you're supposed to be doing all of these social media channels. You're supposed to be putting out your own newsletter. So not only are you trying to get in people's publications, you're supposed to be also putting out your own publications by the form of a newsletter. You know, you're an editor of all your social media channels. You know, you might feel you need a blog or it's like we're all like easier in the old days, right? (laughs) So this was just very much coming on strong. So the interiors industry where I do see art apply and is really interesting. Similarly for my art project in the printing, in the prints and licensing, you see a lot of these to the trade companies aligning with artists for mission prints. And then who is buying those interior designers? Because there is a lot of opportunity in the interiors for textile design, art on textiles. And everything is going so much more small and limited. Because in a time where you can get anything, interior designers want to get things nobody else can get. Of course, custom. Right, you know? right. So there's, I think it could also be very interesting for your readers. That's great. I have the book and I've had it actually for a while, Recipe for Press. Mm-hmm. Going through it, it's like, oh, I, this is, you know, I'm looking at all the stuff I underlined. I forgot about that. So <laughs> in addition to Amy's book, also you can purchase from her the list of press outlets because really cuts down the research tremendously. Could you tell my listeners a little bit more about that? It's just another one of those things that in all the talks, people would come up and the question would be, so how do I find these editors? Mm. That's a little bit trickier and a little bit time consuming. The information is out there, but the digging can get hard if you don't know how. So my team every year puts a massive effort into creating a media list that is affordable because they're generally thousands of dollars. This is just $150. And these are relevant editors for artists, creatives, and entrepreneurs. Because sometimes when somebody says, we've got a list, their list, but their list of who knows, you know, what their popular mechanics and things right. like, you know, or, or things you've just never heard of that they might be a name and an email, but they're not relevant. So it has taken us, I think we're in our eighth year of putting this out, but every year we spend all of December redoing it for the coming year. And then we also send out a free update in June 
because that's when editors begin to look for those holiday gift guide products. And there's just so much movement from it. So it will change wildly. So it's just, it's a labor of love, but it's something we use as well. And a lot of publicists buy this list. They're very grateful that they don't have to look for them. And they help us out too. You know, everybody's really great about it because they understand like, wow, this is a great value, but so-and-so just moved. And it's just this constant rotation of names. So it's hard to keep up with them, you know? So that's why we, my team puts a lot of time, but the people who also buy it year after year, they help us out and they tell us, you know, what they also want to see and we'll go find that too. Yeah. And the last time I purchased it, I remember it was very well organized and there was different pages in the spreadsheet and it was organized. Each sheet was like, whether it was a print or bloggers, are bloggers still relevant? Yeah. Yeah. It's changed a little bit. I would say right now, bloggers, if they're blogging, that has turned into more a commercial advertising opportunity. I hear they're coming back, but what I what I saw when they initially, you know, when blogging was a thing, then people needed to learn how to make it into a paying thing. And that's when it became more about affiliate, you know, marketing and all of this stuff. So it wasn't true editorial, all true editorial. But mm. there are still some solid bloggers out there. We have some on our list. I track probably more vigorously freelance writers because they're the ones that are writing like for a number of outlets and you won't find those names really on, you know, the kind of generic lists. We also started putting a social media contact with each one because we just were trying to look for ways to verify a few times. And there's a new notes section that kind of gives you some history like, oh, if they were at this magazine and now they're at this one or they are, you know, craft beer enthusiasts, you know, we find that in our research. So we decided to put it in the notes because it's super helpful. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, Amy. So we're going to make sure that the link to both your books... Mm-hmm. A link to how they can get their hands on this press list, which is on your, is that's on your website, amyflurry.com? It's on amyflurry.com under the tab recipe for press. All of the, all of those things all are, all these things are same. together. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, you can get it as a bundle, right? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Right. You can't. Yep. Hopefully that we didn't have to uh, edit that part out. Right. Listen to you. <laughs> See, I do my homework too. Okay. <laughs> because a good interviewer is going to also do the research. Correct. Correct. Like I said earlier, Amy, I didn't just get the book just for this podcast. It's actually been on my shelf for quite some time and it's been Like really a handbook for me. Very helpful. Quick shout out to one of my friends, Blenda Tyvel. Her name's been mentioned more than once on the show because she's really good at like finding me people like you. Yeah. Like throughout the year, she's like, like she always is in the know. Sometimes that is the best form of pitching ever. And I've told people this before. Sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes you know somebody is just a perfect fit for an editor and you wish you were, but you're not. But you know that other person is and you share that. Look, it just happened. You gave her a shout out and you do it all the time. All the she- time. But no, but she told me about about you because we're artists and we're and she's like, This is a great book and a great resource and you should know about it. But then also let's shout out my friend Francisca. So I knew that, that you were coming to her event yep. and I was like, Well, you know, I really want to meet Amy Flurry. Can you set <laughs> that up for me? Relationships are huge and they are hugely important. They really are. Photography and relationships those are two big keywords. <laughs> yes. So Amy, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? What I heard a lot and what I just encourage people to do is that, okay, if you spent one hour on this a week, that would be that many hours more than you spent on this last year. 
if that's all you've got, just the consistency matters. It's when people get all excited, do it, and then give up that it doesn't really work. But when you put energy towards this consistently, because this should be a, a kind of an arm of your business now, communications is directly linked to commerce and opportunity. So if you think you don't have the time, just carve out one hour a week. You know, if that first hour is just studying a couple of magazines and that's it, and you took some notes, awesome. The second week, you're going to get a little closer to seeing like what might be a good fit or who actually edits that page. Just when you put that kind of energy, things happen. But you don't have to have days to devote to this. It's more just about the consistency of doing it and understanding it and staying on people's radar and uh, your time will come. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. I have so enjoyed it. I really enjoy the podcast too. Awesome. You can find Amy's book, Recipe for Press. I think it's at all the book places, but I'll make sure it's Mm -hmm. in the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 84. Those are two of my favorite numbers. I'm very excited about really? that. Really? <laughs> oh, eight because it's infinity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, why I four? I don't know. It's just four, eight, 24. It's all the derivatives of these. <laughs> yeah. No reason, but it's just a good number for me and I'm glad to be number 84. I'm nerdy that way too. I like numbers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so thanks everybody for listening. I will see you same time, same place next week. Make it a good one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. If you liked this episode, then you have to check out the Artist Incubator. It's my small group program for emerging artists who want sustainable income from their art. I've also recently added a self-study version of the program to make it more affordable. When you join, you'll get instant access to my no-fail pitch strategies for artists. Plus, you'll also get the exact swipe copy I use to create pitches that have landed me free press over and over again. The Artist Incubator program is by application only. To apply, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's B-I-Z. If you qualify for a free strategy session, you'll get my eyes on your art business absolutely free. And we'll discuss the steps you need to continue to thrive even in these turbulent times.